This is In the Zone, your home for Salina Sports Talk. High school sports, Kansas Wesleyan and Bethany, KU, K-State, and Wichita State. Wait, is there anything these guys don't cover? You're in the zone. Welcome in to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL. A long weekend between Friday and now, so we've got a lot to catch up on today. Uh, first full weekend of college football, high school sports over the weekend. Uh, just a lot of stuff, but we got to start here. James Wessling, my co-host, the famous ESPN broadcaster, James Tell us about the experience. I know you were like a giddy little kid all of Saturday. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. And um, I can tell you a couple of quick stories, and then I'll just kind of have to ask what it is specifically that you want to know. It was uh, an incredible experience, as you said. Um, just everything that went into it leading up to the actual broadcast on Saturday, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. And then on Saturday, you know, Saturday was a really full day. Um we met, and when I say we, I'm talking me, uh, my analyst, my sideline reporter, and then our producer. And we had talked a couple of times and obviously been on Zoom calls together interviewing coaches and players and things like that, but we didn't actually meet in person until Saturday morning. And so we met around 11 a.m. at a hotel in Manhattan, went over all of our, our pregame stuff and our halftime stuff, all stuff that we had talked about throughout the course of the week. But we actually got to, to really get after it Saturday morning, and, and he brought a, a laptop and was able to show us all the prepackages that they had built that we had talked about throughout the week. And then uh, we had a couple of hours to kind of get ready, had some downtime, had to be back at the stadium around 3 for a meal, and then we started rehearsals around 4. And... Um, the rehearsals actually uh, ended up <laughs> kind of chaotic because there were just a lot of things down in the truck that they had to kind of finalize. And there's always unforeseen circumstances from a technical standpoint. So really, the rehearsals ended up being me and my analyst just talking through the open. We weren't actually you know, able to do a full rehearsal. We just kind of talked through it. And then we were live at 6 o'clock and knocked it out. Um, another kind of neat behind the scenes thing is is that we had a, a really big adrian martinez package planned we had a really cool graphic where we were going to uh take some shots at nebraska and show his <laughs> stats from last year's win against northwestern and compare him to casey thompson we had this big adrian martinez opening drive package that we were going to put together and as I noted, it was on the opening drive that we planned all this. So the fact that Malik Knowles went 75 yards for a touchdown on the very first play of the game completely threw our entire broadcast plan out the window. And that that's really what got the, the juices flowing, was just that excitement and adrenaline. And, you know, that happened and you have to improvise. So we did not get the Adrian Martinez package in that we'd hoped on. Uh, we, we did a little bit of a piece on him later on, but not to the extent that we'd planned on for that first drive. So... It was super cool, and the feedback I've gotten has been pretty positive, and I think a lot of that probably stems from how K-State actually played. You know, 34 to nothing, their first shutout since 2019 when they blanked Bowling Green. I think it was just a, a really good start to the season for K-State. <laughs> I, I looked at my phone. I was at Wesley and getting ready for the game, and I was like, okay, the game is about to start in K-State, so I pull up the, like the, uh, 
game cast, like the stats. I wasn't watching the the broadcast. And all of a sudden, I look down, and it says like 14.50 left first quarter, 7 nothing. And I was like, did they, did they return the kickoff for a touchdown? Is that what happened? Like, Because it said like 75 yards, Malik Knowles, of course. And I'm like, so that my brain, that's what I assumed happened. Come to find out it was the jet sweep thing. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, of course, James gets that for, <laughs> you know, his, his first uh, broadcast for K-State with ESPN blah 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 I was like you gotta be kidding me but that was really cool to see and then of course the block punt you got a bunch of fun stuff for that game so pretty cool for you my my friend that's that's some kick-ass stuff yeah it was cool and um, like I said K-State delivered in terms of excitement you know the second half got a little long and a lot of fans uh, went out to the parking lot and tailgated throughout the second half or left you know the stadium was pretty empty for the second half because the game was already well out of reach and now it really sets the table for K-State's game this Saturday against Missouri you know Taylor Portier the offensive lineman that got hurt against South Dakota just announced today that he's going to be out for the entire season but I thought K-State's defense and we can really dive into this here in a minute was just sensational especially when you look at some of the guys that didn't play I'll touch on on that a little bit more as well but yeah that opening drive you know when when the teams are are going through the coin toss we have basically two things planned depending upon which team gets the ball if K-State got the ball, we were going to, going to do a, a hit when we go down to our sideline reporter and she was going to talk about Colin Klein, all his success as a player, being the new offensive coordinator. If South Dakota uh, won the opening toss and, and elected to receive, I think we were going to do a, a, a hit on still kind of a little bit K-State, but just talk about their preseason expectations and how this opponent was you know, not a cupcake, which we kind of hit on at the opening of the telecast because we already knew at that time that K-State had won the toss. Um, so it's just it's fascinating behind the scenes how you you prepare as best you can, but you always have to be ready for the unexpected. And Malik Knowles taking it 75 yards to the house was definitely unexpected on the first play of the game. Yeah, I'll, I'll say. Yeah, that's pretty unexpected. I have a fun little nugget for you, by the way. Uh, for week one, teams that have Kansas in their name, so Kansas... Kansas State and Kansas Wesleyan. Oh, this will be good. They all went three and zero. They're three and zero by a combined score of one hundred sixty to ten. Only Kansas gave up points, and they gave up just ten in their convincing win Friday night over Tennessee Tech. And K State, of course, wins thirty four to nothing. And Kansas Wesleyan, as they so often do, I guess they just did the the brunt of the work. Seventy to nothing, they won over friends. So pretty good weekend for our our, our area teams that we uh, carry on air. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and Kansas Wesleyan destroying friends like that shocked me. Because of just the fact that Friends has a new coach in Terry Harrison who was really successful at Bethel, got them in the top 25. He runs an old school triple option, wishbone offense, just pound it right at you, but they're really creative out of it. And I thought just that scheme alone would get some points on the board and make that game interesting. I knew Kata would probably win because they have the horses, but I didn't think it'd be 70 to nothing. So that says a lot about just how good K-Dub could be this year. It it was exciting. And it, not to like discredit friends, they just... I think you got to give Coach Harrison a little bit of time because he, although he is an outstanding coach, and I have no doubts they're going to start winning really soon, he just doesn't have the... 
athletes for his scheme yet. So it's kind of like shoving a, a, a square peg in a round hole right now, but he's just installing the offense and the defensive concepts and making sure that the young guys that they have now, because they, I think they have 62 freshmen Dang. at Friends this year, and a lot of them play. A lot of them play. So they're, they're learning their lessons on the fly. Uh, but I will say I was also very impressed with Kansas Wesleyan's defense just because uh, as strongly as as Friends relies on the run, they, re- they Friends rushed for six yards per carry in their first game of the season in Week 0 at Oklahoma Panhandle State. 2.9 yards per carry against Kansas Wesleyan. So that's, I think, a lot of credit to to a very veteran K-Dub defense as well that returned 11 players that started at least once a year ago. So very exciting start for them as well. But uh, we touched on K-State and Kansas Wesleyan. We've got to talk about KU too. I know there's a lot of people saying, ho-hum, it was Tennessee Tech. Let's pump the brakes. But when's the last time Kansas won a game 56-10? to 10? I don't care really who they played against. you got to give some props where it's due when you win a game like that. Yeah, and I think to answer your question, it was Rhode Island yep. in 2016. And that was the last time that KU had been favored by as many points as they were favored by on Friday. But I thought this win was much more impressive. I thought KU's ground game looked really good. Devin Neal, uh, Kai Thomas, Savion Morrison. They even had a fourth back that got – they all got about the exact same amount of carries. And it was Devin Neal that had the big, long 60-plus yard run. I thought Jalen Daniels looked really comfortable at quarterback. I thought that uh, you know we saw a glimpse of what he can do with his legs as well because we saw him take off for a couple of, of big runs for KU. And then I thought KU's defense looked serviceable against a team that was clearly overmatched. That was not a very good Tennessee Tech team. But I'm looking at this KU-West Virginia game, and I think KU can hang with West Virginia. Spreads, what, 16 or 17 points? Yep. I have a feeling that KU's going to go go to Morgantown. And if they can kind of if they can hang around early and kind of get over some of those those early game jitters and you know the crowd's going to be really raucous in Morgantown, it'll be a packed house. I, I think KU can compete with West Virginia. I was like I said, much more impressed with this win than I was their win against Rhode Island because I remember watching that game against Rhode Island, being like, this is just a terrible Rhode Island <laughs> yeah, team. It was Tennessee bad. Tech wasn't good, but KU was was really good. Yeah, and the thing that impressed me the most is how well Kansas rushed the football. I mean, they ran for 297 yards. They had over 500 yards of total offense. They but they they threw, but they didn't have to throw a lot. Like they got Devin Neal had only four carries, but he scored an 80-yard touchdown run and rushed for over 100 yards. Sevion Morrison that you mentioned scored a touchdown, 70 yards rushing. Daniel Highshaw, 56. Jalen Daniels rushed for 30 yards, and then Kai Thomas got a couple of carries for for 15 yards. Like there's different guys that got in on on the the party running the football, and then they got a lot of guys incorporated in the receiving game as well. I think. Uh, doing the math right here nine different Jayhawks caught at least one pass and the receiving game was a question I mean they had one guy that's suspended indefinitely and they didn't really know exactly what they were going to get but they at least showed that they have some dudes that can perform and I think that's more than you could have probably said in a long time for Kansas football I mean this time last year they were 1-0 and but they barely beat South Dakota so to at least have a comfortable win and to get to beat up on somebody, something that Kansas and Kansas fans haven't 
gotten in a really long time. So just to have that experience is, I think, is a, a stepping stone for them. Yeah, the KU and K State wins were very similar in that both teams got to number one play a ton of guys, mostly second and third stringers for the final two quarters. Both teams didn't have to show a lot offensively in terms of play calling. K-State was super conservative. Uh, KU was pretty conservative. Both teams just dominated the trenches up front offensively and defensively. So a couple of really good wins. And this time next week, we will know a lot more about Kansas and Kansas State. K-State's got a tough game against a Missouri team that I think is a lot better than people think. They crushed Louisiana Tech 52-21 to in their opener. That about doubled the spread of what was 17 going into that game. And then uh, KU-West Virginia. I'm, I don't know what to think about West Virginia. Um, they, didn't, they, they returned their entire offensive line. They have a former five-star number one recruit and JT Daniels at quarterback. But defensively, which is usually their bread and butter, they gave up 38 points to a modest pit offense that lost a ton of guys to the NFL, and West Virginia only returns three starters on that side of the ball. My point is, I think KU can score some points, and I think they're going to have to score some points to hang around. I'm not sure what to think of West Virginia either, because I, like, I didn't expect a lot out of Pitt. I know they're ranked, what, they were 17th preseason or whatever, but... I didn't know what to expect because, as you mentioned, they lost a ton of dudes to the NFL, and it's just a brand new scheme. It's a new offense because their previous offensive coordinator is now at Nebraska. Um, West Virginia, though, like had 40 new dudes. So like going into that game, it was just a big old salad of, I have no idea what we're going to see here. And Pitt got lucky. They won that game in one of the luckiest things I've ever seen. West Virginia controlled that game and controlled it late. Gave up the late touchdown to tie the game and then in the craziest play you might see all year, a West Virginia receiver that that was really really good all game in Bryce Ford Wheaton had a ball hit him which would have been a first down hit him literally in both hands right in front of his face and he looked away to see where he was going to run and it popped up in the air got picked off and taken for a touchdown with like a minute left in the game and so Pitt won but I like I don't know whether that this you could blame this on on Pitt being better than advertised or West Virginia being not as good as like I don't know what to say there other than the fact that you you're going to learn both about West Virginia and about Kansas this coming weekend because I think both teams have a lot of room for improvement but they're also I mean it's a, the first conference game and you get it in week 2 so yeah. you're going to learn a ton about each of those teams but uh, just one of the million stories we could talk about for for the first weekend uh, of college football do you have any other like doesn't have to be local even any impressions to start the season through that first week yeah definitely and just real quick it feels like because of the way West Virginia lost that game that the wheels are teetering and if KU can get some confidence and if KU somehow wins that game, the wheels are really going to completely fall apart on West Virginia. And I could see them being one of the bottom teams in the Big 12, which is weird for me to say because I like them as maybe a sleeper team coming in to this season. Um, the only other nugget that I have is Nebraska keeps being Nebraska. They were tied with North Dakota at the half, 7-all. Now, I know they pulled away in the second half. Good for them. They got some things figured out, made some coaching adjustments in the second half. But that one stood out to me. And then Iowa beating South Dakota State 7-3 <laughs> using two safeties to get to seven. That has to be the first time in 
sports history that a team ends up with a seven burger and it was two safeties and a field goal. I was I was here in the office. I was getting all my stuff organized for the Kansas Wesley game. That was the game that I was watching because it was five to three for so long because of that safety. And I wanted nothing more than South Dakota State to have a shot to go kick a game-winning field goal and beat Iowa 6-5. to five. That was all I wanted in the world. But it, it was just a, a giant punt fest where Iowa would move the ball a little bit and then they'd punt and pin South Dakota State deep. And they'd get maybe a first down and then they'd punt right back to around midfield. And you'd do it all over again until eventually... Iowa got that second safety, and you're just like, okay, well, this game's over because they're certainly not scoring a touchdown. They sure didn't, but it was that was one of the most entertaining, low-scoring defensive struggles I've ever seen in my entire life, and it was just hilarious because it's like, okay, well, they're not like both teams are good. You can see that South Dakota State is one of the better teams in the FCS, but like neither team <laughs> scored a touchdown, and it was still seven to three. So like you look at it, and you're like, wow. Only one touchdown against South Dakota State? No, no, no. That's not even close to what happened. But that was probably one of my favorite games of the weekend, too. That was It was just awesome. Yeah, and we had a feature that I knew was coming during the K-State-South Dakota game about the Dakota schools and how good all four of them have been at football over the years. So I'm sitting there eating the pregame meal watching North Dakota and Nebraska tied at 7, already knowing that Iowa and South Dakota State are in a battle. And I'm thinking... This is shaping up beautifully <laughs> for us because all these Dakota schools are uh, representing themselves very, very well. They they were. It was fun, fun weekend. I don't. Rem- re- I really didn't get to watch a ton of other games on Saturday because, and I would imagine you probably didn't either because you were busy. Uh, but I, I did watch the Florida State LSU game, which was weird in its own right because LSU looked like a disaster under coach Brian Kelly in his first game and then last night I watched Georgia Tech and Clemson which was interesting for about three quarters and Clemson still found a way to cover the 24 point spread and hit the over on their own basically so uh, really fun first long first weekend of college football but plenty more that we'll talk about here in the coming days but we got to get to our first break of the day we're long overdue for that we'll come back and talk to the head football coach of the Bennington Bulldogs coach Brian Schamberg right after this you're listening to In the Zone on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL Welcome back to In the Zone here on Sports Radio 1150 KSAL 106.7 FM. I am Jackson Schneider. Pleased to be joined now by the head football coach of the Bennington Bulldogs, Coach Brian Schamberg. And this is our second edition of the Bennington Bulldog Weekly Update, again presented by Chuck's Collision, a resident-owned complete body shop. They'll work with you to get the highest quality repair possible. They're not the biggest shop, but they strive to be the best, just like the Bennington Bulldogs. That's Chuck's Collision, just three miles east of Minneapolis on Highway 106. Coach Schamberg, first off, thanks for joining us once again. And secondly, how great is it just to be back in the swing of things? You know, one game under your belt, ready to roll for week two. Right, for sure. Yeah, it's nice to have that first, especially her first first game and first road game under our belt and work some kinks out there for sure. 
And on Friday, a tough one at Gossel, a really good football team that's starting to creep into some top five rankings, top ten rankings across the state. So a really tough test to uh, start your season off there. What did you learn about your team in that week one battle at Gossel? Um, well, the, the first the first half was was hard. It was rough. We had some guys in, at first glance, just being at the game, I was like, man, they, they scored on the first three drives and we just had troubles getting the stop and getting them off the field. And we, our, our offense, we would get in the red zone and then we'd stall out. So it was a little frustrating, but the guys really kept fighting and um, just continued to play hard. And I like that about that. And then being able to watch on film, just the little mistakes we were making, just stuff that's so fixable. So um, I was proud of our guys and, in the way they their effort and we just need to work on some of the fundamentals and stuff. Well, I'm sure you're not alone. A lot of coaches probably feel that way after week one. It's it's never perfect, right? You want it to. You prepare all summer and all fall camp, but there's always going to be those first game jitters, the small things, some positional alignments, silly penalties, things of that nature. But uh, more so than that, I, I think it's just an aspect for a coach, right? You get to see your guys hitting somebody else and, and rather than going up against each other for several weeks, what did you learn about your team when you were squaring off against another team? Any, anybody step up that you maybe didn't expect or did you see something more from guys that you, you expected to be leaders? What did you see from your group on the field? Well, I noticed everybody had their highs and their lows. and um, Early on in that first quarter, I think everybody has was having troubles with the speed of things and that they were really quick in the backfield and um, just being able to, they were over pursuing. Everybody was over pursuing the ends were flying up field and then getting kicked out. And so uh, it just, I think it took an adjustment a little bit and I'm a, and unfortunately Gossel wasn't a team that we really had time to make that adjustment and, and still come out with a win. But uh, we did make um, some adjustments throughout. So that was, I, I like that. Each guy made mistakes, but then they also, I could see how they started fixing those mistakes as we coached them up on the sideline. And, um, so that was, that was good to see. Absolutely. Now next, you've got the Moundridge Wildcats coming to Bennington for your first home game of the year. As you mentioned, got that first road game out of the way in week one. So now you have a chance to come home and and play in front of your your home fans and get the kids in familiar settings. Don't have to worry about a bus trip or anything. But uh, what's going to happen over the next few days i know it's only tuesday and and you got a few days ahead of you yet for preparation but what do you need to see from this team between now and friday night in terms of of just daily steps daily improvements yeah well we met yesterday and talked about um watch film and talked about the things that we needed to fix this week and so i guess practice this week is just uh today we'll spend some time talking about mound ridge and moving on from friday and just working on those fundamental things we need to work on and just um, looking at, at Mount Ridge and, and seeing what we need to do there. So, 
Well, I'm excited to see your team back in action. And fortunately, you guys get two straight home games. You got Mound Ridge and then you've got Sylvan Lucas the week after. So you've got a couple of home games here uh, before you really get into the, the meat of the season. But uh, when you look at this challenge that Mound Ridge presents, they're coming in with an 0-1 record as well and kind of a, a similar fashion game that you faced. So you, you guys are each in the same same boat, trying to find your first win. What's it going to take for you and your team to to come out ahead and grab that first win of the season? Uh, just disi- be super disciplined on our and know their job on defense, and just really break down and and make the tackles and and make sure they know who the, what their coverage is and what they're doing correctly. And and then on offense, just finishing drives is big. Um, we drove the ball really well. I was happy with the way we did the ball Friday night, um, but we would we would kind of get closer to that goal line, and the, sh- the field would shorten up a little bit, and we would would couldn't rely so much on those the bigger pass plays or um, some of that stuff. Some of our bread and butter, uh, the playbook gets a little smaller as we get closer. So just really working on that part of the game as coaches and as players, um, it's going to be big for us to be able to pull went out on Friday. Well, again, we're joined by Coach Brian Schamberg, the head football coach of the Bennington Bulldogs. He joins us weekly on Tuesdays for our Bennington Bulldog weekly update presented by Chuck's Collision. Uh, coach, before I let you go, one last question. I, I know it's certainly never what you what you envision to start the season off 0-1, but it's certainly a, a learning aspect for a, a variety of reasons of what we've talked about. But what did you learn about yourself in week one? I know it's it's interesting to kind of evaluate the team, but coaches are learning too, especially on the fly in week one. What did you learn about yourself in that game? Um, well, that's a good question. Um I don't know, maybe just me as a as a play caller. Um, this is an, a new bunch of kids this year, and and so the, some of the stuff that worked last year is not working worked as good this year. And so um, just being able to be flexible and learning to be a little more flexible and open minded and open up the playbook a little more um, is learn that something that can sometimes be a little hard. But um, I think now that I've kind of realized, hey. This is working and this is not, and so just kind of leave that behind a little bit for this year and just move forward with the guys we've got and 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 because uh, they can do some really good stuff and just learning that. So I think that's maybe something I'm kind of starting to learn. Um, this being my third year and really my first two years coaching, I had a group of of juniors that then became seniors, and so that bunch of kids I really kind of had a grasp on like, okay, this is what we can and can't do. But now all those guys graduated and we got this new bunch of young men and um, which are, are, are really good at, at stuff, but maybe not good at the same stuff that the group before. So just being able to adjust is awesome. A learning process. Great stuff from coach Brian Schamberg. Appreciate your time as always coach. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you. Awesome. We'll take a quick time out here on In the Zone and be back with more right after this as we continue looking back at a week one of college football when we return on 1150 KSAL. In the Zone is brought to you by Hometown Outdoor Power, the area's largest power equipment dealer. 
offering brands like Toro, Grasshopper, Hustler, Kawasaki, and more. And to view their full inventory, you can see one of their locations in McPherson, Salina, and Minneapolis, or you can visit them online at hometownoutdoorpower.com. That is hometownoutdoorpower.com. Final segment for In the Zone today. Just heard from the head football coach of the Biddington Bulldogs, Brian Schamberg, as they look towards week two as they get ready to take on Mound Ridge on Friday night. But, uh, it's kind of a, our in-between day. We're going to have a lot of K-State talk tomorrow, a lot of KU on Thursday, James. Uh, so let's just take a look all around the Big 12 from this past weekend. We talked about West Virginia falling at Pittsburgh in the Thursday night matchup, the the I guess the revival of the backyard brawl. They lost 38-31. They are the only Big 12 team that lost in Week 1. Oklahoma State uh, didn't really have any trouble with Central Michigan, but they left that back door open. They were up 55-15 and won 58-44 in that one. Uh, but never really struggled. Spencer Sanders played a really good football game, and because of it, he was named the uh, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week. He was the first player, or excuse me, the second player in Big 12 history with 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns in one half of football. So pretty impressive stuff from Spencer Sanders, who I'll admit I wasn't sure about him being that good, but he he impressed me in a big way. And I know it was Central Michigan, but anytime you throw up a performance like that one, you got to respect it. No, I agree. And Central Michigan isn't terrible. And I think a lot of people look at that final 58-44 to and think, is Oklahoma State maybe a little bit overrated? But keep in mind, like you said, 29 of those points came in the second half, and 22 of the 44 came in the fourth quarter when Oklahoma State had their backup defense in. Spencer Sanders throwing for 400 yards in basically three quarters was really impressive. Uh, I think that was a career high for him in the in the season opener. And Central Michigan also has a pretty good quarterback and Daniel Richardson. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the MAC. He had a big day, but again, a lot of that coming in the second half, and Central Michigan was throwing the ball all over the field because they were down so early and, and so often. And Oklahoma State has a new defensive coordinator that they're breaking in, and Derek Mason, who was a very well-respected defensive coordinator before he uh, was the head coach at Vanderbilt. He gets let go, ends up at Oklahoma State. So um, that's not a, a bad win for Oklahoma State. West Virginia, um, we talked about their game a little bit during the Open. They actually outgained Pittsburgh, and they were the only team, as you touched on, to lose. I was really impressed by... Number one, the fact that on Friday and Saturday, the Big 12 took care of business. Iowa State clobbers Southeast Missouri State, beat them by 32. Oklahoma, UTEP's not a bad football team. Oklahoma uh, throttles them 45-13. to Baylor hangs 69 on the board against Albany. Even Texas thumps Louisiana Monroe. And typically, against those Sun Belt teams like Louisiana last year, Texas struggles. And so for them to win 52-10 to was a good sign. Texas Tech hanging 63 on Murray State, who's usually a pretty formidable FCS opponent. And then K-State blanking South Dakota, and I saved what I thought was maybe the best for last. TCU going on the road Friday and beating Colorado 38-13. to Keep in mind, that's a TCU team that has basically everybody back from last year, but it's new coaching staff. So new staff to go on the road and beat Colorado the way that they did when they were only favored by about 10 really, really impressed me. I think it was a good week one for the Big 12. And they were up 7-6 to at halftime. 
That I got home from doing South and Central, and it was seven to six. The second half was just starting, and I was like, man, like maybe Colorado's going to be able to hang in this one because a lot of people don't think they're going to be that great this season because they're also in kind of a new regime or, or kind of in a transitional period. But in that second half, TCU was just huge in a lot of different areas, and and one of them was was in special teams. And Darius Davis for uh, the Horned Frogs returned a punt for a touchdown that really kind of turned the tide, I guess. It was a 60-yard return, and it flipped the score, really, um, and, and put them in control. And that was part of why he was named the Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, last uh, other acknowledgments on that one is KU's Lonnie Phelps, new defensive lineman, uh, was Huge for Kansas. He had three sacks uh, in in the game against Tennessee Tech. He also had seven tackles to lead the team. He had four total TFLs, uh, and but his three sacks were the most by a Jayhawk since 2016. Uh, so pretty special day for Lonnie Phelps, and he's the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week as well. And then uh, West Virginia's C.J. Donaldson was the newcomer of the week uh, in his game against Pitt. He he had. Uh, a touchdown on a five-yard rush against Pitt, which was his his first career touchdown, but his first career carry was a 44-yard run, and he finished with a game-high 125 yards on seven carries. So some pretty darn solid uh, Big 12 performers through week one, and there's a lot to look forward to in week two because there's as as nice as it is that the Big 12 kind of starts off on the right foot against some of these smaller schools, you start to see a lot more fun matchups week two, uh, perhaps none more so than Texas hosting number one Alabama. We mentioned K-State and Missouri. Number 25, Houston, future Big 12 member. They are going to take on Texas Tech in Lubbock. Iowa State in Iowa this week. KU at West Virginia. Uh, Arizona State is at Oklahoma State. And Baylor is at BYU. Another future conference opponent, but BYU number 21 in the country. And then TCU hosts Tarleton State and Oklahoma hosts Kent State. But outside of those two, it's really a bunch of really good football games. Dude, there are seven phenomenal games that I can't wait to watch. All the spring Reds are super small. Iowa State and Iowa, less than three. Houston, Texas Tech, less than three. Baylor's a three and a half point underdog at BYU. What I'm saying is, these should be some really good football games. And this is the week where we will really find out just how good the Big 12 is because these are strong non conference opponents. And I think, you know, with the college football uh, playoff expanding to 12 teams, you're going to get more weeks like this in the future. You're still going to have those payday games for the smaller schools, but I think you're going to see some of these big non-conference matchups like we're starting to see in college football more often. I mean, Alabama-Texas, I know that Alabama's expected to beat them by three touchdowns. Literally, the spread is 20 points, but I can't think of a bigger non-conference matchup than Alabama-Texas this early in the season um, for, for a Big 12 team in a really long time. And then, you know, even week one, Florida State and LSU, that's a huge matchup that we got. Notre Dame and Ohio State, that's a huge matchup. Ohio State and Georgia, now I know that these games weren't great games outside of Florida State and LSU, but you've got the big boys playing the big boys right away. You you touched on expanding to the 12-team playoff. We haven't really had the chance to talk about that much on the show, and I'm sure we will here uh, throughout the rest of this week because we don't have a ton of time to get into it. But my one thought is there's, there's 
there's kind of mixed emotions because some people are like, oh, why are we expanding the playoff just to get the same, you know, three, four teams, Alabama, Ohio State, et cetera, uh, Georgia, what have you. But my thought is the only reason we see college football through that lens right now is because for the last like five or six years, there have only been four teams that could get in. So obviously, teams the, the best players are going to go to the teams with the best chance to get to that top four. But now you expand the field, and I think it's going to like make the top a little bit deeper. Like You ultimately may still have the Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State type situation at the top, but the gap from three to, to 12 is going to be lessened in the near future because there's more opportunity uh, – for other schools to kind of jump in there and get in that conversation and win a few games. And in my, in my opinion, it's far better because now you're going to have more meaningful football games and less random bowl games at some stadium that's sponsored by something crazy. And you have players opting out because the game ultimately does not matter because now you're going to have something to play for. And I think that's going to elevate the sport of college football. And I think it's been a long time coming that they join every other type of football that's ever played and have a playoff that's actually a playoff. Yeah, the FCS playoffs, they've been doing that forever. They're awesome. The NFL playoffs are incredible. And now college football is going to finally join the party. And, you know, we're going to see some greater five schools, as you touched on, get in. There will be upsets, which will just make it that much better. And you're right. Uh, Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia, those type of schools come to mind right now because they're at the top right now. But K-State, I think, if they had this model, would have made the college football playoffs eight times in a 10-year window back in the day. So, I mean, there are going to be some different programs that are going to be in there uh, on a regular basis that maybe we're not thinking about right now. Yeah, definitely so. It's going to be fun to see this thing really come together because it's going to take some time and it's not going to happen now. It's 2026, right? Yeah, I believe so. They may be able to get it started by 2025, but that's going to take a lot of extra work from what I was reading. So I think we might just set our sights on 2026 and be okay with that. But we'll see where it takes college football until that point because still, obviously a lot is unsettled with the realignment and the media rights agreements and all that stuff. So maybe we get get rid of that situation before we start worrying about truly expanding the playoffs but uh, that's going to just about wrap up our show for today again big shout out to Brian Schamberg of the Bennington Bulldogs for checking in with us again today Uh, but uh, before I let you go James do you have any nuggets for the show today? Sure Uh, Wake Forest starting quarterback Sam Hartman has been medically cleared to return to competition Uh, He's expected to start on Saturday at Vanderbilt. That was a huge college football story. I know that's a national nugget for you, but we didn't know how long he would be out. There were rumors that he would be out all year, and that totally changes Wake Forest's outlook because they go from being a team that probably doesn't make a bowl if he's not playing to maybe threatening Clemson in the ACC. You mentioned Vanderbilt. They thumped Hawaii in Week Zero, sixty-three to ten. I don't know if you saw they play Hawaii played Western Kentucky this weekend. Hawaii loses, but Western Kentucky, not not near as big of a win over uh, Hawaii. But I wonder, I want to know how just how bad Hawaii actually is, and just how good Vanderbilt actually is, so that those numbers start to really make sense. But some some wild scores in the first week or so of college football season. But we're we're just getting started, man. We'll be back at it tomorrow at five fifteen as we uh, visit with Wyatt Thompson and talk some K State football. We'll also check in with Mike Kilgore of the 
the Solomon Gorillas. But that's all on tomorrow's show. For James Westling, I am Jackson Schneider. That's going to do it for our Tuesday edition of In the Zone here on 1150 KSAL. Hey, 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 hey.